My name is Antramika Knight, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Um, just in case you didn't know, spring is coming. I know that you've been waiting on that, but it is coming. Um, and this Sunday is also birthday Sunday, so later on in service, we'll be able to celebrate people who have March birthdays. So already get ready to think, get, start thinking about what would you like to share during that time. Um, here at River City, um, at the beginning of service, we read from the lectionary. And the lectionary is a set of reading scriptures um, that are available for people throughout the world in our Christian faith. And we use it as a way to connect to the global church. This Sunday, um, we're going to read Psalms 99. And it says, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherub. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted all over the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness, righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron are among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies in the statue that he gave them. O oh Lord, our God, you answered them. You were, a you were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. If we can bow our heads in prayer. God, you are holy. You are righteous. You love justice. Let us ignore those who try to turn down this part of your character. Let us exemplify it in our own actions so we can move more towards you, God. Thank you that you will avenge our wrongdoings. But even more importantly, Father God, you will hear us when we cry out for you. Thank you that you are always available. You never take a vacation, God. You are never absent from us. You are never far away. Lord, thank you for chasing us. That was a reminder this morning that you will constantly seek us, Lord. And we value that as it represents another aspect of your holiness. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is no one like our God, right? So think about the phrases we've said this morning. He's the ruler of all, yet he's the hope of the earth, and he is Abba Father. Where else do you hear that language to describe our God? Romans 8 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, upon, brought about your adoption as children. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Abba, Father, we come to you. And so as we move into this time of prayer where we have been, we have seen God. God has been here. He has revealed himself to us through Christ and again through the power of his spirit. We have seen his face. We can turn our eyes up to say, Abba, Father. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy, first of all then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. This is right and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So as we move into prayer this morning, I'd like for us to start with gratitude. We were saying, there is no one like you. I could sing of your love forever. Will you in boldness, boldness speak out? How has God revealed his love to you this week? So God, for every sunrise and sunset, for every breath that we take, you have breathed out your love. And let us always posture our heart first with gratefulness and declare that you truly are ruler of all. So as we move into this time of intercession, if you guys have, if you're new to the, our church or you've been here, you can recognize that during this time of prayer, we start sort of out in spheres and move in. So we start with the church and the body of Christ, and then we move into the world and to the community and to this local church and then to personal needs. So I want you to be involved in this time of prayer, if not for yourself, for someone else, that you would bravely take on the burdens of those around you and the privilege of being co-heirs with Christ. That is a privilege and an honor. So God, we lift up the church, the universal church, your body. And I love that the imagery of the body is the head does not exist without the body and the body does not exist without the head. So we pray for wholeness and healing and unity in the body of Christ. We pray for the world, for the suffering and injustices happening in the world. We lift up these needs to you. And if there is a need or a burden or a story that's been on your heart this week or an injustice you would like to raise before God, you'll speak it out now. We lift up our nation and all those in authority. We lift up our president, our government leaders, both nationally and locally. Will you make them wise and just? Will you teach us how to have a voice of love and compassion and influence? We pray for this community in Smyrna 
that you would teach us to be your hands and feet in this community. And we lift up this local body, the needs of this family and this church. And if you'll speak out something you are praying for, for River City or a need personally or for a loved one or friend. And let's not miss this opportunity, guys, to be together. Pray for healing, Jesus. Pray for identity, God, yes. Pray for strength and perseverance in times of loss. We lift up Jane and her family in the loss of her dad. Lift up Nate and Kaylee who are joined in marriage. Those dealing with sickness and brokenness, in joy or in pain, God, we lift our eyes to you. Show us how to love each other well. Show us how to pray for each other well. All blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one who sits upon the throne. And all God's people say yes and amen. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for community. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for this past season where we've been able to focus on these texts that reveal who you are. And if we're willing to pay attention to these, it's pretty different than most of the things we've heard a lot of our lives. In a society and a culture that builds frameworks around what we can get for ourselves, in worship settings where we are the center of the setting and not you, we are asked to understand a Jesus that says things like, my mission is to the poor, my mission is to the widow, my mission is to those imprisoned. As the core of what Luke walks us through, this is your ministry. And so as we jump back in today, I pray that we would have the kind of eyes to see a Jesus that, yes, has kindness in his eyes. And I'm so thankful for that, that draws the prodigals back home through the way that you love us, but also the Jesus that makes us not just take what's at the surface and run away, but have to dig in in community and say, what does that actually mean? What does this mean? And help us to also see that, Jesus, you are the new way in which we see the whole scripture. You're the new way, God, to help us to understand it. You're the light, as we're going to see today on Transfiguration Sunday. You're the light that shows us how to even read what's happening with Moses and what's happening with Elijah. Help us to be the the community that presses into a Christocentric lens of Scripture that's informed by Jesus, dependent on Jesus, and unsuccessful without Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And there's a Lent table out there for you guys. Printed resources, so don't do that now, but as you leave, grab that. It starts Wednesday. Okay. All right, so we're going to jump right in. I just kind of give you a a little bit of an overview of what we've been going through, revealing Jesus. Um, A couple things that jump out to me. Last week, we had my friend, Dr. Green, come. Who who was here for that? Did you enjoy it? So good, right? So if you weren't here, listen to that podcast. He's a professor of theology at Southeastern. Uh, he's very inspirational for Sarah and I, but he said two things that were 
They, that surface level, they were scandalous, but really, they're not that scandalous. And he said that, and I'm going to try and get these right. If you hate the sin and the sinner more than you hate what's happening to the sinner because of the sin, the life of God is not in you. That is a bold statement. So if you hate the sin and the sinner more than you hate what's happening to them because of the sin, the life of God is not what... That's the kind of thing I would say and be scared for a week for all the emails. He also said that, and he was using the story of the woman at the well, that you can either kill the sin and the sinner. <laughs> you can kill the sin. Tell me what, tell me what he said. <laughs> I feel bad now that I did that to you earlier. What did he say? Yes, it was the woman caught in adultery. Did I say something different? <laughs> so good. It's a great start. Good start. He mentioned the woman at the well, though. All right, so you can either kill the sinner because of how much you hate the sin. Yes. That was it. You can kill the sinner because of how much you hate the sin or kill the sin because of how much you love the sinner. That was what he said. So good. And that's the story of what happened when Jesus actually sits with and maintains when the people who were there to kill her were asked to walk away because of sin in their own life. So really beautiful. I would listen to that. Um, we'll probably revert back to it some coming up in the future. Today, Revealing Jesus is built around the idea of the transfiguration. And Transfiguration Sunday is, is there because of what happens on this mountain. And what happens on this mountain is mysterious and crazy. And there's so many levels and layers that I'm going to try and just focus today is my goal. As I studied this week, there's so many things I wanted to share with you. But, but three of the biggest things are we have to understand if we are Christian, our identities. We have to understand that we have to be intentional about spiritual formation. We have to understand that we have to be distinct and set on mission. So identity, spiritual formation, and mission. And we know specifically that the identity of a Christian is built around Jesus. We also know specifically that in spiritual formation, it's not that we can do a practice that makes us better. It's that we create spaces through the practices to interact with Jesus. And then on mission, it's not that we have these ideas on what we want to do. We follow Jesus into what he's doing. He is the mission and he is present. He's ever present, missional. We go with him, we listen to him. So in all of these three things, massively important, he is at the center of them. There's no version of any of those things, identity, spiritual formation, or mission that does not have Jesus in it. He's the common denominator. Does that make sense? So we've been talking about revealing Jesus. We'll pull up a pic real quick. If you can bring this up. This is an, um, anybody know what this is, first off? Any artists? Any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans here? If I say Raphael. Okay, so this is his painting about 500 years ago of the transfiguration and what's happening. And fascinating story. He didn't get to finish this. This is considered his greatest work, but he didn't, he didn't actually get to finish it because he died. So he had to have some people that were helping him in the project finish it for him. And then it was taken and destroyed. And in 1977, it was actually brought back to life in the ways it was originally um, designed. And it's kind of scandalous, actually, for him, because this, if you look at this image, it's, it's emotive. So the people are doing things that are emotive, and typically with him, his paintings weren't this way. They were kind of 
flatlined and uh, face value, but this one he, and it's considered his greatest work, but it was built around this passage, the way that he interprets um, this passage. So this will kind of be up during today as I'm speaking through this, but a couple things I wanted to share with you that will relate somehow. Yesterday, I got to be a part of a wedding here downstairs with Nate and Kaylee. It was beautiful. Um, it was a really long day yesterday. It was one of those days, if you're an American parent, um, you question why you enjoy sports so much. We had to get up at 7 to be at a tournament for two games, then to go to a basketball game, then to go to a wedding, then to have another basketball game we had to miss, then to pick up another kid. Then we got to head to a funeral um, last night to be with Jane and her family. But here, I say this for this reason. Yesterday and last night as I went to bed, I felt... I felt the pleasure of Jesus over our community, and I felt full, even though I was spent. So somehow being a part of Nate and Kaylee being gathered together to be married and celebrating that in community, and being able to be with the family last night as Jordan led the funeral and um, we got to spend time with them, I felt this overwhelming sense of the pleasure of Jesus in the midst of those things. And I think, um, one is because Jesus is present in, in both of those kind of things. Jesus is present at the celebration of the wedding, and Jesus is present as we send people to be with him, right? And there's not a, there's not a version where it's one or the other. There's no, and you actually mentioned this, Sarah, there's no version where it's just the good stuff that Jesus wants to be a part at, of, and the bad stuff, we just kind of skim through that, right? But we do live in a culture that's horrified of death. Um, that's why we have such a fascination with shows built around death and serial killers. Like how many shows are built around something like that? But none of us want to talk about it, right? It's some of the, one of those things we push over there. We don't do good in uncomfortable spaces. We don't enjoy having to wait for long periods of time. We don't enjoy when people are sick. We, don't, we want it to be better. We want it to be better. We don't know how to interact with what's going on. And so another story really quickly that has something to do with this I keep bumping into this sign at my house that says, this seat is reserved for Sarah Luke. And is it still at our house? Anybody, anybody remember Sarah Luke? So Sarah Luke was a part of our community since we met at Square Church when we were planting. And I don't even know how this sign came about. It just ended up at our house. There's a, so there's a story of how our church really loved Sarah Luke well. And surface value face value, it could seem like the end of Sarah Luke's life was about how well our church loved her. That was not what the end of her life was about. Sarah Luke had the biggest impact I've ever seen one person have in my life. And she was on her way to dying. And she said things like, all you guys are going to pray that I'm healed, then you can do that. But Jesus has told me this is what's happening, and I'm at peace, and I'm going to love you all well. And so anybody that spent any time with Sarah Luke got to experience Jesus in a way that was baffling and moving. And she struggled through the sicknesses you have when you're dealing with cancer, feeling like you can't even be around people, but somehow being present. She was able to be in these really plain situations and become the light of Jesus for a whole community. I think I learned more from her in three years walking with her than I have from any message I've ever heard, any conference I've ever been to, the way that a person lived a transfigured life that were, when you were around them, you saw Jesus every single time. Who would say that about Sarah Luke? Every time I was around her. Baffling. So today as I read this passage to you and we talk about this, there's a couple things that, there's a couple ways that we could read this wrongly. 
And there's a way I've read it wrongly. There's a way, the first way is that we're supposed to go to the mountaintop and stay on the mountaintop and experience Jesus. And then there's another way to say, it's not about the mountaintops. Quit talking about the mountaintops. And both are wrong. The point of Jesus' gospels and the point of what he's doing here is to be on the mountaintop and then come down the mountain and let what happened on the mountain spill into his life. So as we read this, Many of you went to a conference last week. We had my favorite preacher here in town. I, I have this temptation to be like, quit being conference hoppers or quit having guys come in. But God did good things, right? God did good things at the conference, right? God did good things here, right? Why did he do those things? I'm not asking you to answer. Why would he do those things? Why would he fill us with something as we go forward? That's what today's passage is about. So Luke 9, 28 through 29. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. A couple things right off the bat. Three disciples went, the others did not. And for you to understand what's truly happening here, these three people are brought up with him to experience what we saw in that picture all of the rest of the disciples, and you'll hear about this in a minute, are at the bottom of the mountain dealing with a man who has a son who is demon-possessed. So if you want to talk about, like, why didn't I get the seat, or who's the greatest, or why didn't I get invited, more than half of his disciples are dealing with somebody they don't even know what to do with. You're about to hear, these guys had no clue what to do with them. And then the other three are sitting around watching Jesus be transfigured, right? So there's tensions we'll get to in a minute. The first thing you need to understand is the What's happening with Jesus right now is death is all around him. He knows what's going to happen. He understands it. He actually begins to have a conversation with who's about to appear about just in a little while, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to die. This has to happen. But even before he came, death was in the air. As he's leaving, death is in the air. And in the season where death is in the air, he goes for three days to be with his disciples to what? To play foursquare. What did he do? <laughs> he prayed. I say pray. It's okay. He, he prayed. So he went up on the mountain and he prayed. Can you pull up the, the next passage, please? 30 through 31. And behold, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Massive implications that you understand what's happening here. So Moses, in this scenario, for these people, represent the law represent the Old Covenant and the Testament, right? Moses, who came off the mountain with the tablets, right? God had chosen this man to bring this law, and the entire Old Testament is built around it. The other man with him is who? What does Elijah represent? Prophets. What are the prophets talking about? What's to come? What's going to come? How it's going to end, right? So before you even move forward, the, the two people that show up with him, with Jesus there, is the person who the, who the law is built around and the idea of how it will end. So he's sandwiched in between the law and the endings. And there's Jesus, right? Interesting, right off the bat, that we note a couple of things about this. It's so important. You can actually pull up the next passage real quick, and I'll, I'll jump back into that. So now Peter, and this is the interesting part, the three people that are selected, one of them is Peter, and Peter gets a bad rap, but he does exactly what any of us would do, always, I think. 
Peter has an idea. Um, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from there, so 33 says, and as the men were parting, so Jesus and the two men with him who are Elijah and Moses are departing, right? Probably significant. They're Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, right? They're departing, and this is when he decides, Master, is it good that we are here? Let us make some tents, right? One of you and one for you and one for you, not knowing what he said. And, and this actually makes a lot of sense because in, in the feast, they would do this kind of thing. They would prolong what's happening by building tents to be housed in the tents. So he's really just trying to preserve something that we would all try and preserve. He's just seen something unbelievable. He's seeing who it is. It's Jesus and he's transfigured and he's like, can we just, he's basically saying, can we just maybe sit in this for a while? Like this is not a bad thing. I don't know if you're like not noticing, but we're up here on a mountain. That's Jesus. These are important figures. Can we just, any of us would ask this, totally. And in the fashion that God usually uses speaking to people in the Old Testament this is another fascinating thing. God begins to speak, but not to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, which is fascinating in its own right. Because if you're invited into prayer, and we always say this, as you head into prayer, try and consider what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit might already be saying as you enter with your request, right? Come in as a listener, right? But what if you came in as a listener and they all stopped and were like, Sarah, this is what happens right here. You can pull up this next part. And he was saying these things, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my son, which means he's not talking to who? His son. He's talking to them now. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. I love this so much. So you're just kind of hanging out. You had an idea. Let's prolong this. They're getting up to go from this event or guest speaker or conference or youth week. They're heading home. Let's just, let's just extend it, right? Like, let's build something around this. Jesus says something directly to them. through God, God says something directly to them, sorry, about Jesus. And then in amazing fashion, and this is what you need to know about this. There's a way to, to live your Christianity, which is built completely around the law. And, and that's really not a faithful way to do it. And we know that to be true because we've talked for three weeks now about the things that Jesus reads in Scripture and reframes. So there's theological arguments that could sprout all over this. But we know just from the last month that Jesus read Isaiah 61 and removed a portion of Scripture from it. The portion that said, the vengeance of the Lord is coming. Jesus removes it when he labels his mission. That's scripture. That's not Josh. And we also know that as the woman is being possibly stoned because the law says it to be true, Jesus steps in and reframes what's happening. They could have done that because that is written in the law. So Jesus reframes at least in two spaces. And so, and that's not even me making something up. That's what he's doing to the old text, right? Because there's no way to read the old text without Jesus. Am I saying it's not important? You better believe it is incredibly important. But it is not overarching over Jesus. 
There's a way to use the Bible that has nothing to do with Jesus. And in that way, you can stone a woman. You can preach fire and hatred at people. You can scream about the vengeance of God, but have no idea how he would sit with the sinner. There's a way to read the, what Moses stood for, right? The other one's standing here. That can completely destroy someone and have no, no emphasis on Jesus being what's left standing after the conversation, right? There's also a way to read in the perspective of Elijah. And there's a way to live your Christianity, always talking about what's to come and what's coming and woe is our nation and woe is us. And it's never been this bad. Pause that for a second. It's been pretty bad. It's been pretty bad. There have been Christians burned at the stake, right? There have been Christians who are made to wear the skins of animals as game for other animals. There have been Christians who have been slaughtered by the thousands, right? Our nation's stuff is not the first that we've seen, right? There's a way to live in that seat of Elijah that's only interested about what's going to come so let's just back away, right? There's a way to do that for either of them that removes you from the world that God sent you to. Well, I know Jesus said, he said to us, be in the world and not of it. Well, I know he said that, but he also said he God sent his only son to the what? Right? Right. Go out into all the what? Right. <laughs> Sorry to use the grandmother voice there. <laughs> but in my mind, that was a, a way. There's a way that we think that we are to box in what's happening. Right? There's a way in which we can just talk about what God's going to do in the future and stay in here and not have to interact with the world. And there's a way that we can interact with the world that's so just drenched in the law that no one will ever want to see who our Jesus is. But then, in this scenario, these two prophets disappear and who is left standing? Jesus is left standing. Jesus is left standing. And in the most Jesus fashion ever, he's not staying in that place. Jesus never intended to stay on the mountain. And if you want to talk about a previous mountain, not just this one, you can talk about the actual mountain of him being with the Father in eternity in heaven and coming down that mountain and coming to our earth in the form of a baby in the lowest space to enter our plane and be ridiculed and be forsaken and be killed and be harmed and be made fun of. This is what Jesus did on the larger scale. So this shouldn't even shock us that they have this experience where he's transfigured. The disciples see him. This is Jesus, the son, the chosen one. So they're left now with what to do. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? What's next? So they have to come off the mountain. They come down the mountain. And as they get to the bottom, just like any ministry that I've ever been a part of, there's things that happen that are not mountain experiences. Like that's, if you want, like if you're if you're considering entering ministry or you really want to know what it's like, you're always going to have mountain. You're always going to have plain. You're always going to have an experience with Jesus that's never just about that. And you're always going to be interacting with people who have no idea who Jesus is and have no idea how to be whole and who are broken all the time and have no idea how to fix themselves. This situation is a tender one because it's not one there's easy, easy answers to. They come down, and you can, I'll, I'll read this to you actually and then jump into it for a minute. On the next day when they came down from the mountain, a great crowd had met him. Just exactly what happens when you leave being filled by God, right? Like as soon as you re-enter the world, you're like, yeah, I'm going back over here. Because a crowd meets him and every one of those people wants something from him, just like us. Just like when we re-enter after having an experience, 
There's a temptation to bottle up what has happened in us. I'm not, I'm not getting any of this out. This is for me, right? It, said, it actually says that they kept what happened for themselves. On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him alone. And I begged your disciples, right? Imagine if you're the disciples in that scenario, like, hey, hey Jesus, did you guys have fun up on the mountain? <laughs> and there's a guy that doesn't even care saying, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation. And they're like, really, Jesus? I mean, your three dudes got to go up there. We were down here dying, trying to figure out what to do with a demon-possessed boy being seized. Not easy ministry, right? Jesus answered a faithless and twisted generation. How long will I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, and just to add insult to injury as Jesus was trying to do this, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, is there anything else? <laughs> it's perfect. It's exactly what I was trying to do. What do you think would be next? Right. See what I'm saying? Just a couple, I want to just talk about a couple things right here. So, so the thing that jumps out to me most like in tr just right off the bat, and it's because I've been in ministry so long and there's so many tensions, even right now, socially, to be a Christian right now, there are so many expectations, there's hard lines being drawn. What do you believe about this? Tell me this right now. What do you think about this? There's so many things happening. Our society is bringing in things, making us answer really, really big questions in small frames. There's people within the church just ready to pounce on anyone who says anything our culture is driving it. Our church is not responding well. And so instantly I think of these three people that are coming off the mountain, having had an, a true, genuine experience with God and coming down and realizing there's a demon-possessed boy. Now Jesus is right here, got to do something. And then these other that are like laboring, right? Laboring for Christ, not seeing results, not being selfish with it, just not knowing what to do. And so I instantly think about the interaction between these two groups. And I wonder how much... Well, I wonder a couple things. I wonder if these guys now think, I can't be a part of what they're doing because what we have now can't be tainted by them. And I wonder if these guys are just thinking, we just want somebody to help us. Like, we don't need to hear about how we have to go up a mountain right now. We don't need to be made to feel bad that we didn't experience what you had. We need help, guys. Like, and I think about this, especially in charismatic communities, about how we get to experience God, and everyone does. And there's a way in which we can experience God and then come back from our experience and make everybody who's been working for 2,000 years feel like they are junk instead of seeing that Jesus is still in the center of both. And there's a way for the ones that went up the mountain to be like, see? And Jesus will be like, you didn't do nothing neither. You didn't do nothing neither. You actually just had that. Maybe you should come down here with me. But even that would be wrong because Jesus had to be the one to do it. And then there's a way to be these guys and be like, quit talking about your mountain, guys. We need the mountain. We do need the mountain. We need the mountain. But life is not lived on the mountain. 
And maybe the best way I can say this is maybe he takes you to a mountain, not to go tell everybody where the mountain was. Like, come on, guys, let's go to the mountain. He's not doing that. You become a little mountain. You become a little mountain that's present with Jesus wherever you go. So you don't need to be like, we're, we don't have to go searching for mountains, right? We have to be present with Jesus wherever he goes. When he's going up a mountain, guess where we're going? We're going up a mountain with Jesus. When he's coming down the mountain, where are we going? But I promise you this, he always intended to come down the mountain. There's no scenario in Christianity where he did not intend to come down the mountain and have us interact with our world, listening to him. Listen, Peter, James, and John. This is my chosen son. Listen to him. You've built ministries around Elijah. You've built ministries around Moses. Jesus is with you and in your midst. He is superior to all. That doesn't mean that these aren't important, but he is more important. It is all built around him. And we see the act of Jesus being present with them from that moment forward. It's not then something they've read about. It's not then something they're going after. It's someone they're with now. They go down the mountain with Jesus and interact with a crazy situation that nobody knows what to do. There's also a way to be like, you guys didn't know you were supposed to do that? There's a way to, and even it sounds in Jesus' words like everybody's failed. There's no way this happens without Jesus being the lead. There's no way, right? There's no way to do what he's asking us to do without him being the lead, which has some massive implications for you, your Christianity, and the way that we do life. And I would, I would just say this. I missed so much. There are tensions that are always going to be there. If there are no tensions in your faith, it's not really faith. It's not. Because God has called you to experience the mountain, to live in it, to love it, to want him, and he's called you to be with people who haven't yet. And there's no version, right? He's called you to be with people in this room that rub you in every wrong way. He's called you to be with the people in here who demand your spirituality to look like this, and he's called you to be with the ones in here who are like, I'm fairly certain they don't have any idea who Jesus is. He's called you to that. He's called you to be in a city, in a nation, that the spiritual climate is jacked up right now. He's called you to have quick Quick listening, less responding. He's called you to listen to your city, to listen to your world. But most importantly, if we are to listen to Jesus, it doesn't start by starting a ministry for Africa. Do that if God has told you to do that. It starts by realizing some of the places he's leading you down the mountain to could just be your wife or your daughter or your friend and there's a way to actually make it less impactful by saying, God's called me to Tennessee and not having to look at, no, the mountain he's led you down right now. The demon-possessed boy that's freaking out that you have no idea what to do with is in your own home. So he's calling you down the mountain to listen to him, but you'll have to pay attention to him. And that might grow. That might grow, but it starts with something. And in this scenario... There's no version of this happening if in the season where he was about to die, he did not get away to pray, spiritual formation. There's no version of you growing in Christ that doesn't include you spending time with Christ and community. There's no version of it. It doesn't just show up on your doorstep and you're like, I got my Christianity in today. It's it a good pack. It came like that. 
I left it, they left it on my doorstep. I was afraid somebody was going to steal it. So I got it really quickly. There's no version of it like that. There's no version that doesn't include another hill as well. We talk about this mountain. There's another mountain that Jesus went on. And what did he do on that one? He died on that one. There's no version where we're not a part of both mountains. Because if we're to be his, we also have to what? And in our dying, who gets to be impacted? Everybody around us, right? And this is so important to understand how Jesus would do these things. If he highlights someone, yes, this is my mission field. There's, it's so important to understand these passages that talk about the humility of God, the love of God, the selflessness of God. Though when the religious climate is coming in at him, he's more willing to disappoint the religious climate than those who are going to be touched by it. It's important to understand that. But it's also important to understand that some of our callings we already have, have things in them or not Jesus. And I'll, I'll give you just an example. There's a way, and I don't want to say anything too crazy here, but there's a way for God to speak to you for the last two years. He's going to give you a ton of money, right? And you could really lean into that. That could be like the thrust of God's going to really give me a bunch of money. I'm not going to have to worry. And then there's a way God could bring a really rich person to your life who is broken beyond any means, has no idea who your Christ is or how you would go about just getting in there. And that person could be presented to you. And there's a way that if your calling is drenched in something that's not the gospel, that will supersede what needs to happen in that situation. But if your calling is the calling of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and how he interacts with the world, when that person rich or poor shows up at your doorstep, there's no way to make it about something that's unhealthy. Humility of God. That's actually happened before. I've actually been tempted by that before. That's a, that's a thing, really. That's a clarity moment. There's a broken person. You could do something, receive something back. It's not for Jesus anymore at that point. I've drawn hard lines. Like, you're not even allowed to give money with people. You're not even allowed to do that. I know that you're rich. You're not allowed to give money. Don't. And there's probably people that are like, that's not even biblical. But it kind of is because I care more about what's happening and my, all of my stuff will get in there. And I don't want that. Because to be called to the ministry of Jesus is to be available for those around you, whether they give you anything or don't. And so as you're called back into your life, your wife, your husband, if you're processing through a global ministry, but your home is broken right now, you need to do the global ministry later. You need to do the ministry that's right at your doorstep right now. God's calling us each into things, off a mountain, into real places. And so, if you guys will close your eyes with me. God, one of my favorite things about this passage is how you speak to your disciples to tell them, you can listen to my son Jesus. So with all of your eyes closed right now, I already know there's anxiety just saying that in this room. Because so many people don't know how to listen to Jesus. We have so many voices. God, we're almost like legion. There's so many things speaking into us. There's so many voices inside of us. There's so many things asking for our allegiance. And then there's the voice of God creating space and freeing us. So I ask you, Jesus, to alleviate any of the pressure connected to hearing the voice of God. If it needs to be for a season, just picking up the text picking up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just noticing how does Jesus live, that is the voice of God speaking to us. If it's noticing what happens when we're together with Christians 
or when we're in the world and feel broken. Speak to us clearly, God. Help us to be a community that knows how to balance the mountains and the plains. Help us to be on mission in such a way that it's not the power gospel demanding that people hear about Jesus, but that sit next to, invite into, love well people before they deserve it or even know who they are. Prophesying about an identity they have that was before the creation of the world, before they understand it, in the way that we love them. Help us to be a community, God, that does not sit in our houses listening to worship seven days a week, but not even having a clue who is next door to our house. I'm just going to pause. I've got to say this. I've got to say this. I'm sorry. I know it's late. One of the conversations I had with Chris Freen last week that will ever be with me, and I told him, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, and it's going to offend some of you. So whenever somebody mentions the word revival to me, I instantly have kickback inside. For some of you, that doesn't sound right, because how could you hate revival? I don't hate revival. And he clarified with me, what do you not like about the word revival? I don't like this idea of us gathering in a space for six months. And he said, they sent news crews to one of the famous revivals that happened in Florida. I actually had a friend that was one of the pastors on staff at this revival. You know who that person is. And they sent news trucks to the neighborhoods around it and began to ask the neighbors their response to the revival. And as they went, the neighbors all said, what revival are you talking about? I have a fear. I have this fear that we believe getting people to a mountain is more important than going down to where the people are. And that's so important because if it's true revival, then it's spilling out all around here. And we're not just gathering Christians from Kentucky and New York and Florida and West Cobb and East Cobb. But my neighbor who lives next door to me, I don't know about your neighbors, but my neighbor lives right next door to me. They have to know about the love of God and how he loves them through me. So, Father, as we end today, I thank you that you're an incarnate God who lives amongst your people to show them the way by your actions, sitting with the sinner and the tax collector and those who would harm you and praying for those who did harm you as you leave and are being killed by them so that you could pave the way to resurrection, God, a Christ that comes back and actually defeats death. In Jesus' name, help us to be incarnate this week in our cities, in our families. We thank you. In your name we pray. If you could stand with me, we're going to go ahead and close. If there's anybody who needs prayer, there's going to be people up here to pray with you. I'm going to ask that if you stay in this room, just kind of keep in mind that we're going to have ministry happening in here. If you'd like to have conversations, you can go out to the middle area or the far area. Thank you so much for being here. I love you guys. You love me too, so that's good. Blessings. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.